Well, good afternoon, middle. And welcome home. As Jackie said, this is the fourth and final Sunday in our month-long homecoming celebration. After the summer is over and the season of sun and travel, of vacation and cookouts has ended, we return to this place, this spiritual home, to continue the work of rehearsing the reign of God here among us and throughout the world. During this month of September, after a time of treasured idleness and relaxation, we restart the program year and we reset our eyes on the prize of building God's beloved community. Today also marks, as Martha said, the third week of Hispanic Heritage Month, a time when our nation focuses our attention on the history and the lasting impact Hispanic and Latinx Americans have made to our country the way they have worked and fought for equity for oppressed peoples living in the U.S. and also those who are seeking this as their new home because of our political and economic exploitation abroad. We recognize the hundreds of thousands of dreamers among us, maybe even some who are here today, young people whose parents brought them here as children who have only known the U.S. as the land that they call home but whose stability and citizenship are at risk because of the rhetoric and policies of xenophobia and white supremacy. We remember today the over 12,000 children, as Jackie mentioned last week, housed in pens like animals at the border, separated from their parents, possibly never to see them again because some people believe that making America great again excludes the very same people whose ancestors walked on this country freely and without fear. And they're doing this all in our name and through the support of our government. As the kids used to say, don't get it twisted. <laughs> Middle, America will never become great by stifling our diversity. We will only reach our true potential for greatness when we, when we are all people and all people are able to use our true potential for gifts and raise our voice to become the people that God the creator has made us to be, amen? amen? Okay. Over this time of homecoming, we have been reading from Mark's gospel, asking some essential questions to the Christian faith. What would Jesus do about a country that's thirsty for greed and power? What would you, who do you say that Jesus is to a world that denies that love is what transforms, heals, and empowers us? And que mas? What else would Jesus say? Or excuse me, what else would Jesus uh, do to bring healing to parents and children seeking sanctuary along the borders? But today we're taking a detour and a fast forward to the end of the book of James where we were faced with the question of, are we ready? Are we ready? Are we ready to live into our full selves as the radical community that God has called us to be, that leads and loves this world into what God desires for such a time as now? Only five chapters long, James is one of the shortest books in the Greek scriptures, and the audience in James's letter is small, but they're a growing minority throughout the Roman Empire. 
They had broken with the religious and social customs of the day that pra- and they practiced an unorthodox way of being the people of God. What they do, they welcome the poor. They embrace the stranger and they give unselfishly to all those who have need. Even though it is small in its size it's often, and it is often overlooked, this letter to the early church across the diaspora illuminates some of the most fundamental practices of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and share in God's beloved community. And if you're ever looking for like a restart, uh, you want a refresher on what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus, read James. Listen to some of the things he has to say to us. If any, if any think they are religious and do not bridle their tongue, but deceive their hearts, their religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows and to care for them in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. In relationship to the wealthy, he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you show partiality to the rich, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. On faith and action, he says, if a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and eat your fill, what good is that? So faith by itself if it has no works, is dead. And again, on privilege and power in this world, James says, humble yourselves before the Lord and God will exalt you. If you've ever lived in a shared housing experience with someone who wasn't a family or, or a, a romantic partner, you may understand what James is doing. He's giving you guidelines for creating a new sense of community. These are clear instructions for establishing an intentional community where each is accountable to the other. Now, for some of you, it may have been, don't eat my food unless you're, you know, you've asked me about it, or we split utilities, even. Or, you know, depending upon your situation, leave the seat up or leave the seat down, <laughs> either way. But there are rules, there are guidelines. But whatever the cause may be, in these brief words of exhortation and instruction, James lays out blueprints on what a community governed by faith in Jesus and the law of love looks like. And in this community, it requires everyone's commitment and everyone's cooperation to usher in God's reign. In the verses that we read today, James offers a final word of how we are to support one another in ways that have both personal and communal implications. Listen again to verses 13 through 16. Are any of you suffering? They should pray. Are any cheerful? They should sing songs of praise. Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up and anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Middle, I have a question for you. Are you suffering or are you cheerful? 
Given the events of the past few days, it seems like I witnessed suffering all around me. It has been 618 days since January 20 of 2017. I hear a sigh. And when I'm honest about it, it feels like the degree of suffering and distress that's felt in my community, the degree of fear and hopelessness around the people that are dear to me has increased significantly. And the legal proceedings of this past week did not help at all, not one bit. The revelations of the Kavanaugh confirmation hearing over the past week has been excruciating for countless survivors of sexual abuse and raised great alarm for many others. And the question is obvious, but it's often obscured because of political allegiance. How can a man, a person who's implicated in the sexual assault of Christine Blasey Ford, Julie Swetnick, and Deborah Ramirez be considered an appropriate judge for the highest court in our nation? Could he rule objectively on cases involving the rights of women and their bodies or any other vulnerable community in his professional life if he's not honored them in his personal life? Mm. On social media, the outcry has been overwhelming. The examination of Dr. Ford, hashtag, we believe her, right? We believe her. Her examination before the Senate Judicial Committee has been emotionally upsetting for many of us, for many who are survivors. For those of us who have named our abusers and in turn had our credibility and our intentions questioned, it's been, it's been more painful than you can imagine. It's brought up a lot of deep pains, a lot of old hurts that have always been there, but it's just put them in front of us again. Watching her solemn, brave testimony, followed by his aggressive, emotional defense of privilege and patriarchy, it was heart-wrenching and re-traumatizing for many. And they say Serena had a meltdown. Mm. Far too many of us have had to struggle with the repercussions of making our suffering known only to relive the public scrutiny and shame of acknowledging something that we didn't want and something that we were not to blame. We live in a country where one in four girls and one in six boys will be sexually abused before they turn 18 years old. And as we think of uh, Hispanic Heritage Month and uh, the community of folks who work and care for our food and pick the food, grow the food that we eat, for farm worker women, most of whom are primarily Spanish-speaking, it's been reported that up to 80% of women in that community have been sexually assaulted and no work, there's no justice that comes to them. And recent statements by men and women that boys will be boys simply justify a culture where sexual violence is deemed acceptable. But middle, we have to do better than this, amen? In an interview with Krista Tippett, uh, a woman who's deeply beloved by this congregation and a civil rights icon, Ms. Ruby Sales tells the story of how her life was changed by standing with those who suffer. She said in the interview, I was 
getting my locks washed and my locker's daughter came in one morning. She'd been out hustling all night. Y'all understand hustling, right? And she had sores on her body and she was just in a state from drugs. So something in me said to ask her, Shelly, where does it hurt? And just that simple question unleashed territory in her that she had never shared with her mother. She talked about having been incested. She talked about all the things that had happened to her as a child, and she literally shared the source of her pain. And I realized in that moment, listening to her and talking with her, that I needed a larger way to do this work. Friends, this is what James is pointing us to. He's instructing us to be a people, a church, a community, a movement where love makes room for all, where we can create safe haven for the suffering and those who sing and dance cheerfully. And both know that they belong here. It's a sacred place where we humble ourselves, where we're vulnerable and trust each other sharing our confessions of sin and mistakes, our habits and our prejudices, so that in that truth, we might be reconciled and that God's reign might actually be seen, felt, and heard here and now. In James, the act of prayer is an expression of faith and truth, where regardless of who we are and what we're going through, we can find oneness with God and God's people. We pray because prayer is how we align our voice with God's voice. It's how we open ourselves to what God is doing. Prayer is the most intimate form of communion with the divine. You don't have to move or do anything, or you can pray and dance and sing. You just speak with and speak from your heart and know that the Holy One hears every concern, every care all your suffering and all your joy. And as we still ourselves and listen to the Spirit's leading, we get up and we move where God and the Holy Spirit are moving us to be. It's not just praying for ourselves. Yes, that's key. It's also praying for others. It's finding solidarity in the midst of suffering. It's anointing healing oil, touching another with grace, and being hope for them when they have no hope for themselves. And friends, we know that not every prayer will lead to physical healing. But we all know that, and we all know that in life, we will die. This life for us will come to an end. But there is a prayer for physical healing that leads to spiritual healing. James tells us when elders and deacons and those we used to call in the Baptist church the mothers of the church would come together for prayer for the sick, something holy happened. God reshaped human relationships into sacred relationships where the reign of God that we keep rehearsing and rehearsing actually becomes present among us and we can feel it and it's holy. It's heaven on earth when we pray and come together for each other. Uh, Henri Nouwen was a world-renowned writer, an Ivy League professor, and one of the most respected Catholic priests in his day. 
But somewhere in the midst of all the speaking engagements, the notoriety and, and the acclaim, somewhere in prayer, he heard the Spirit leading him in a different path. He left his academic life to live and build intentional community, intentional Christian community with developmentally delayed adults through an organization called L'Arche. And in his conversation uh, about prayer, he said this, prayer and action can never be seen as contradictory or mutually exclusive. If prayer leads us into a deeper unity with the compassionate Christ, it will always give rise to concrete acts of service. And if concrete acts of service do indeed lead us to a deeper solidarity with the poor, the hungry, the sick, the dying, and the oppressed, they will always give rise also to prayer. In prayer, we meet Christ, and in him, all human suffering. And in service, we meet people, and in them, the suffering Christ. Middle Church, I have another question for you. Where does it hurt? Where does it hurt? There are some of us today who are suffering. There are some of us who are joyful. Some of us are somewhere in between, checked out, numb, angry, unsure, fighting off hopelessness or afraid. But the work of building this new community, this new home for all, is the work that James invites us to. James invites us to co-create with God and the Holy Spirit. This is the higher, truer expression of the gospel that the world is hungering for right here and right now. And again, my question for you is, are we ready? There's so much pain around us. Too many people are living in isolation, in the shame of their past. People we love, people who are sitting in this room right now, and people who would never darken the door of this church are living in shame of the things that happened to them, and sometimes the guilt of the, of the shame that we've created, the pain that we've created. When James says, confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed, that members of the community are wandering off and saying and doing hurtful things, he's also talking about us. As much as we despise, or maybe, maybe as much as we may despise Kavanaugh or Trump or Cosby, each of us has also done something to hurt someone else. The scars may be big or small, but they're still scars. And if we believe that love transforms, that means love can transform all of us. And it's easy to look at Kavanaugh through a solely political lens and view him as being worse than the rest of us. And as a survivor, I, I, I want to do that, but I don't think what James is saying frees me to do that. That I have to believe, like Jackie said, there have to be cracks of light and hope and transformation that actually draw us into a deeper experience of communion and healing and life and love. But are we ready for this middle? Are we ready to build a new community, to find a new way of being? Are we willing to humble ourselves and be vulnerable with our pain and our burdens? Are we ready to be real and broken and seen so that God's holy community can make us whole. 
Because if we're not, then maybe we should pray about that. Amen.